You're tuned into 9 to 5 Work Rebels with your host, Ebony Gale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gems in Comms series special brought to you by 9 to 5 Work Rebels podcast in association with Hanson Search, the award-winning international exec search consultancy. I am Ebony Gale, your host, and today I am very pleased to be speaking with Ron Kay Lawol, who is the founder of ARIAR2PR, and she works with clients in, the, in a range of industries, from business to consumer, ranging from lifestyles, consumer goods, and creative enterprise sector as well. So welcome, Ron Kay. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ebony. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation to be on this podcast. Oh, no problem. It's a pleasure to have you. So I'm going to dive straight in with some of our questions. It's all very conversational. And the reason that we're doing this podcast essentially is to give people of colour in the industry their flowers, but also their voice to share their experiences in the industry. So, uh, you know, a, a well done to you for being a great, you know, person in the industry, making some moves out there. You know, your name definitely is ringing around the industry. So I love that for you. So, um, you know, uh, definitely flowers for you. And then we're going to get straight into it. Okay. So tell us about yourself and what you do. Yeah. So um, as you've rightly introduced, I'm I'm Ron Kilowell. I've been in PR and comms for quite a long time. I've not even done a market with you it's starting to feel like it's, it's a very long time most, like, <laughs> more, more, most of my life soon oh my goodness um and I I grew up in Hackney I was born in Hackney um and I, I wonder if that's part of the reasons why it attracted me to kind of com- communication because you have to know how to use your mouth when you grow up in an area like <laughs> you definitely do <laughs> you, have to, you have to learn how to talk to people yes. um, yeah I I studied international business at university um, I came out, did a bit of work, and then I decided I wanted to start my own business. Um, and it's been it's been tough, uh, challenging, but it's been rewarding at the same time. I've managed to work with some amazing clients, but not without those challenges. And a lot of those challenges, sometimes you have to wonder where and why those challenges come and appear. But I'm, I know we're going to dig into that deeper into this podcast. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that's interesting. So when you came out of university, did you say you studied law? Uh, international business international business yeah okay. so you always wanted to get into comms is that something you always wanted to do or was it kind of thing like you kind of you know fell into it I wanted to I've always been attracted to communicating with people in some way and I wanted to actually so I had two branches that I was thinking of advertising really attracted me yes same here I really yeah I had yeah. this I but I just didn't I couldn't figure out how to get into advertising so I was thinking so when I was younger I was thinking, thinking either advertising or being a stockbroker the only reason I wanted to be a stockbroker because I, was, I grew up in Hackney money because yeah. I was like I need to make money don't know what this thing is about but it's money because I knew that being a stockbroker meant making money but actually what I really really wanted to do was advertising because I really wanted to find a way of communicating with people whether it's through creativity whether it's yeah. through words imagery um, I couldn't I couldn't work it out and actually similarly to PR it's one of those industries where unless you kind of understand and know how to get into it it's going to be challenging right it's definitely I don't know. Agree with you. yeah yeah agree agree yeah. agree because for me I was similar I want to do advertising and that was you know one of the things that really made me want to do advertising this is going back but the old school tango adverts I used to love them you know when they go right up to you slap you the rubber, the rubber uh, the yellow rubber thing and say you've been tangled I used to love all those crazy <laughs> adverts <laughs> I used to love those what and made me want to go 
I was advertising other. from that. But once I started looking into it, I found that the creative is very separate from the management. And then I like the fact that yeah. you get to do the bit of the both. So that's yeah. kind, of, kind of when that moved. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it sounds like you were always attracted to communicating anyway. Because I'm going to say, was you, what attracted you to the industry itself? It was that creativity and communication. Yeah, it was that creativity. And then when I first started my business, it was a little bit more kind of, it had a few more... If, because I was young, it was, my, it was my early, early 20s, early to mid 20s, in the first iteration of my business, I should say. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, how do I create this thing? I know what I want to do, but I can't put my finger on it. And then I undertook some learning um, and it took a while until I kind of figured out, actually, this is what I should be doing. And actually, because I offered, I offered marketing, I remember I was trying to do a lot of stuff and I was like, why? Because obviously my business degree had stuff. Yeah, it covers it. all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But then as the years progressed and what, what I realized what clients wanted and what I was really good at was more public, public relations, you know, drafting um, announcements, media relations. Yeah. Press. So it started to become just naturally that natural flow. So I kind of I rebranded the business and focused on that. And that's where it really the, the joy, the kind of when I say joy, the kind of the enjoyment of of comms and PR really stem from but it came with that learning and figuring it out for myself yeah that's an important thing to experience for you you know absolutely so I want to dip a little bit into lived experiences within the industry itself so but we'll take it back slightly so one of the questions that I always like to ask everyone is when did you become aware of your ethnicity now for some people it's a strange question for us I don't feel like it is because you know you know, I'm a black woman. I w- grew up in a Caribbean family. But for me, my, you know, my main kicking point of realising that was going to secondary school and hearing about Chelsea Smilers, who were racist guys, um, thugs, basically, who would go up to any black or brown person and they would take a razor and cut across their mouth and smile, you know, and Ooh. they were known that was something that was going on around the time. And my school was down Oakham Road, you know, a bit of a racist area as well at the time. Um, so... I was a bit petrified going to secondary school. That was kind of a real moment of, my God, this people just want to hurt me just because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a black girl. So that was my kind of proper moment of, okay, you know, I am very aware of my ethnicity at this moment. So what about for you? Hopefully not as intense. <laughs> yeah, no, wow. I'm sorry. That's just, so, yeah, that was really, really intense. I think, um, so my parents, so, I, so my parents were always conscious of like making sure we were aware of, of the dynamics, especially when we're talking about racial dynamics, especially yeah. growing up in England, growing up in London, because they came from Nigeria to here, right? Mm-hmm. And so whilst we were born here, they were very conscious about, about that. So they would they would show us things. They'd show me, like they'd, we'd watch certain document, like documentaries, films, content to know that actually these things exist. Racism is real. This is what this is what white supremacy looks like. They used a different language back then, obviously. They didn't, they didn't necessarily call it white supremacy, but they, they showed us so that we knew, not in, not to try and traumatise us, but to no, education, us, right? Yeah, absolutely. a very young age. And so going out, one of the things, though, even as a child, I remember visiting a, 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 a friend's, a, at the time, a young white friend's house, and her parents, like her father, just treating, like being just different. And I don't like to, I don't like to link my blackness to trauma, so I don't like to say... I realized that I was different because of, but it was that, it was because of his reaction to having his little daughter, his white daughter bring home a black friend. Mm. It was just 
he viscerally just like, why have you brought this person? And it, I mustn't have been more than like eight or something. Oh, it was wow. ridiculous. Well, you you know, felt like, the energy. Like, you so feel... even though, yeah, and even though like I kind of, we knew about it and we kind of understood when you're a child, you realize, oh yeah, it is real. What mommy and daddy are saying, like, yeah, it is, it is this thing of difference is a real thing. Yeah, um, and as, as you grow up, you see it more and more. But yeah, that that, that was one example that was quite per- like a personal example. Yeah, but absolutely. At, at a young age, at eight years old, that is quite something as well, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just doesn't show about ignorance of racism. It just shows you, you know, it just knows no bounds, doesn't it? Because it's just like it's a little kid. It's like you're exactly, a little kid. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's unbelievable. Exactly. How oh, interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. So my next question on, the, on this is more about have you ever felt like your race or ethnicity has held you back in your career at any point in time? So it's a weird one. I, I struggle with this question because it's like, on the one hand, I've done really, really well and I'm so proud of my blackness. And I'm unashamedly, like my business is centred and rooted in my black, in black, in being black and, you know, majority. I work with majority of black clients or clients who are intentional about ensuring that there is that, that, you know, blackness is at a core, like messaging or, you know, whatever it could be, the campaign has to have something which celebrates diversity in some way, but yeah. it has to be intentional, like not just four point scoring. Yeah. However, I, I'm very much aware and I've experienced it m- multiple times that not only have I been probably undervalued, I've probably been disrespected. Not probably, I have been disrespected. Yeah. I've been undermined many times, undermined yeah. many times. And it's one of those things, and, and as you mentioned earlier, like, the thing about racism is like, it's just, a, it's so weird because it's like, you can't even say it, that's what it is. But it's so obvious yeah. to us, right? Yes, but is. if you try to show it, like if you try to prove it in a court of law sometimes, you have to bring all the receipts. And, yeah. and that's what yeah. you've got to keep track yeah absolutely. it's exhausting because it's like if you're the only black person on the team or a campaign you're trying to make sure that there's more black people or more people of other ethnicities yeah um but if you're if initially you're the only one and then you, you start getting these aggressions and i don't even want to call them microaggressions anymore because they're just aggression yeah. <laughs> yeah. you're like okay what, what why are you talking to me like that or why yeah. are you questioning my abilities my kind of, or stuff yeah abilities. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, there's been many times, like, there's been lots of times, and even I'm sure just, just the pressure of, the expectation of, you know, having to prove yourself. I don't yeah. really fall onto that. I don't want to fall into that. But sometimes you you inadvertently feel like you have to, because they, it can be so demanding some clients, like some people and clients. Yeah, because absolutely. They're like, they're like, okay, we've got to make sure she's good. We're giving her a chance. But it's like, well, you're not giving me a chance. I've qualified. <laughs> you're qualified, exactly. So it's spinning that around, isn't it? Because otherwise you feel like you're forever trying to impress people. And it's like, well, no, we have to stop <clears> doing <throat> this thing where we feel like we have to <clears throat> do so much to get, and it, it, just to get a, a, a pat on the head to say, oh, okay, she can do it. Well done. You yeah, but that's it. You've just, na- that's it. You've nailed it. And that's that could be exhausting. And I think that's one of the most draining things about being in our industry. Yeah. Some of the campaigns I've had to work on is, is that. Even when I don't realize I'm doing it, sometimes it, it happens because you're like, and then I, I wake up and I'm like, why did I, have, why did I do that? Like, I'm qualified yeah. for this, but Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, but I understand it. I completely get it. No, I understand that. Well, thank you for doing that as well. So, have you, so we have, it sounds like, I said, have you actually experienced racism in the actual workplace and how was it handled? Ooh, not, not, di- not directly. So, I don't think it's directly, but I've had to deal with certain things where 
you I've had to kind of double down or like escalate things where okay. it's like I don't like the tone of this even I know it's gonna sound but even the tone of an email yeah like I've had situations where tone of an email or how I've, how I've been spoken to in a meeting Right. Where I've had to like, I've done the thing of like, okay, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write my own email now. Yeah. <laughs> write, I can write, but when I write, it gets the other person or, or parties like a bit like, oh gosh, yes, you know, didn't mean to, whatever. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's always been, it's never been direct that I can remember. But you know what, as well, Ebony, sometimes with dealing with anti-black racism specifically, what we sometimes do is we to protect ourselves and to wake up every day. I might have buried some stuff, buried some memories. So yeah. it could have happened and very I'm just true. now to survive. Yeah, I'm very just, true. Like, buried. It's very true. You just got to keep going every day to day, don't you? Because yeah. you hold yeah. on to it or it will just weigh you down. Honestly. So, so I get yeah. it. And it depends on the issue because I've had racism at work. I remember working for, um, I used to work in the press office for the General Medical Council. So, um, and obviously they regulate doctors. So I worked in quite a lot of high profile cases around that. But I remember getting a call and we used to have to deal with calls from the media as well as like sometimes doctors would call us. And we had a, had a very posh doctor that called me. I was helping him with something. And then, you know, he wanted to thank me. He was like, oh, what's your name? So I said, my name's Ebony. What? Are you coloured? Was what I got down the phone. It was like, I said, no, I'm actually black. I find colour quite offensive. And you can see like my manager was sitting opposite me, kind of looked at me and was thinking, well, what am I saying to this person? But um yeah came off of that call and spoke to her after this she was like oh no that's just not on you know I can't believe that but you could just tell he was running the old school posh doctors live somewhere you know very very nice and well to do and the reason why he said am I coloured was because he said his words afterwards was you're so well spoken oh no see oh yeah 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 (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah I know it's just shocking and I was younger then as well so I don't feel like I was as equipped but at the same time, I pushed back on it anyway. I was just like, well, I'm not coloured, you know, I don't turn pink, blue and orange. I'm a black person, you know. So, you know, so it was just like, yeah. oh, my gosh. It was just like, wow. So, yeah, no, but um, and it's interesting because I've had some different answers from different people. And it's interesting how it's handled in the workplace because not everyone knows how to handle it. Back then it was just yeah. more of a, OK, you've answered him and we'll just leave it that rather than a, maybe we need to look at educating our doctors. But, you yeah. Know. <laughs> and that's another thing. That's a really good point. It's it's. We having to handle that and deal with it, and even just realizing, okay, what's the what's going to be the repercussions, not only for myself but for the person, because often it tends to be like, well, it's all sorted out. Let's bury it, and it's they're not doing. What I found is, especially when I've dealt with aggression, so I'm not going to call them microaggression, <laughs> racist, you know, racist aggression. Aggressions, yeah. Like, I feel like they, the, the, internally these people or clients are not doing the work they say they're doing. They, yeah. they say because visually it looks like so maybe by you know, hiring a PR, you know, PR like me looks like, or going to conferences, and it looks like, yeah, but actually yeah. they're not doing enough to address it yeah. um, intentionally. And Absolutely. Then it, and, and then we I end up with situations. Then we end up with situations like that. You're quite right. It's, they, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the industry can be focused on optics and not enough on, you know, the... the, the, the I say all the time. You know, nuts time. and bolts. So, yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. Um, so, uh, back on this same sort of issue... Was there ever a time where you feel like you've had to speak up about something around racism or a time when you've had to sort of either speak up somebody else or self-advocate? Because you seem like you're self-advocating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's been times. There's been times on client campaigns, um, you know, when I've had to kind of really self-advocate and just be, you know, so we talk about the pushing back, but also just being 
having those kind of conversations, I'm not trying to educate, the thing is, there's enough books out there, <laughs> enough anti-racism books out there, I'm not going to educate, yeah. and not, I'm not getting paid enough to train or teach, Yeah, absolutely. but I will kind of, I'll either speak up, and I'll address it, and sometimes, you know, you've got to play it, you've got to play it, like, not strategically, but you've got to be, like, wise, because it's not always safe, mm. Um. so I'm always mindful of this thing of, like, people saying they're allies and stuff, and, like, support you know, saying they're going to support us and stuff. But often you're left by yourself, especially as as, 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 as Black women. Yeah, We're often yeah. left by ourselves to do So even with the self-advocacy, I have to kind of figure out, okay, I'm going to do this self-advocacy. I'm going to speak up on behalf of myself or somebody else, but I'm also going to make sure I've got the support system and the mechanism to protect myself because when things fall apart, usually nobody's... You're left standing, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, nobody's really... All those, all those allies who love to kind of go viral with their allyship on, on the timeline... I'm not actually in the rooms or or in the inboxes doing enough to address the issues. So yeah, but yeah there's been probably multiple times to even to recount them. And it's like I say, I feel like I've got a coping with thing where I'm starting to like block off. <laughs> so it's not funny. Probably should like let some of it out right about somewhere. No, I'm <laughs> laughing because I have the same thing as I'm laughing because I'm like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm able to just keep moving. And sometimes you're like, you sit back and reflect a bit, think, oh yeah. Yeah, all right. I just want to take it slightly differently, which is about code switching, because I think this is really interesting. So I wanted to ask you about code switching. And do you feel like, you know, people of colour can leave up authentic voices in the workplace or will we be forever code switching? You know what, Ebony, I've got this thing and I don't know if this is the way I grew up or how I grew up. I like, I like to have I like to keep certain things for myself yes. so there's certain ways I yes I don't I don't necessarily call it code switch. I don't think I code switch as such but there's certain relaxed you know ways of speaking um and terms I would use at home or with my friends that's for yes. me and myself and yeah, I and course. them yes. and my community like, I just feel like I don't need and the worst thing is and this is where it's funny the worst thing is I cringe like when you see people who are not from our communities using our terminology in a way that is not only out of context out of sync but also yeah. like out of, just doesn't just looks weird it's not, even, <laughs> it's not even about cultural appropriation it's just like what are you doing like that's just not for you so i i say i, I don't think i think code switching i understand it mm. i get it i'm not a fan of it okay. i don't think i code switch as such i just it's just terminologies that i just wouldn't necessarily use okay okay Always I feel like we have an element of co-switching. Like I do. I know that, for example, when I was in the workplace, I work with myself a bit different, but in the workplace, I felt like I had to fit in. So I felt yeah. like, you know, I felt like obviously you bring you bring your 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 work day to work, right? And then at home, it's more relaxed. I can catch joke. I can put in some patois. I can do what I want to do. And then, or you have your little tribe of people that you maybe come to and have that. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like we will all always be forever to a degree co-switching to a you, degree. Yeah. You can't, and, and, and you're right, you can't, and the thing is about this authenticity piece, I do want us to be as authentic as we can be, I don't think it's possible to be 100% authentic. Yeah, I, I don't think, think so. Yeah, I don't, I think, and I think you're right, I think even without realising, even without realising, I probably, yeah, we are, we're always, always kind of, whether it's a fit in or just to make, make our lives easier. Easier, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we, we, we have to kind of use that in language and be a certain way. But I, you know, I do want us to try and like, just try and, yeah, it's difficult because yeah, 
on the one hand, I'm saying you want to keep some discussion to yourself. You do. But that authenticity piece, is it possible? I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know if it's even safe to be authentic. That's what I was going to say. Is it safe? I mean, I don't think I don't it's necessarily it possible to be completely authentic. Because um, no. I was talking to somebody else and they were saying that, no, because actually you don't always want, you, you want to have just a professional self there. And you want to keep a bit of yourself back sometimes. So, yeah. You know, uh, I think that, there's yeah. a, a bit of a, a medium to be had, a little balance to get there, I think. But yeah, interesting, interesting. So, and we touched on, um, well, we know that the industry obviously is definitely majority white. Mm -hmm. So my question was, you know, was there a particular point in time when you became of the kind of colour, became aware of the colour bias in the PR and comms industry? Always. That you always picked up on. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) always. And that's why, I mean, one of the things I I talk about is because I I, I speak mainly to to the kind of making sure that whether it's communicating to black audiences is done well, so that's on the one side, or working with black campaigns that center black um, talent or creatives or entrepreneurs. But yeah, I've always noticed it. And you can see it throughout the industry. It's the most obvious thing. And I know we're forever doing surveys in the industry about how uh, it lacks diversity, but it really, there is is an issue. But remembering traditionally PR is one of those secrets secret industries right mm. because if you think about some of the biggest not big big agencies but also those small kind of family-run agencies where they hand down the agency to um uh, the the daughter the yeah, right? is best. yeah 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 you know all the whether it's fashion whether mm. it's even even if you look UT, at the, yeah yeah it's so much there's so many and you think about it and it's like okay it's going to be kept in those hands and especially if you look at the the, the pr that's done you know, political PR, like, you know, if you look at uh, political affairs and, you know, all of that is even, it's even... Oh, yeah, it's even more worse than the public affairs side of things. Absolutely. Because I think it's interesting you say that because for me, getting into PR, as I said, I went to do advertising, but getting into PR, I uh, end up going in the kind of corporate side. So I was working in regulation and stuff. So I didn't necessarily see how white the industry was. I assumed it to be because obviously every meeting I went to, I was usually the only black person there. We'd have cross departmental meetings. There's like one other, and I'd be like, "Hey, there's no person there." <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but I didn't get it completely. I suppose until I got more active in the industry, doing more yeah. like the CIPR and doing. And then when I joined Women in PR, I was like, "It's a sea of white women." And yeah. I was like, wow, it is seriously a really, really white, you know, um, industry. It's very, very white industry. It's a very and and and. But then if you look at it as well, Ebony, in our communities, I feel like in P- P- PR is, is one of those people that people don't know, parents don't know, to say, oh, this is an interesting yeah. line of work. Yeah. Um, we have to learn about it ourselves. Yeah, so absolutely. Need to keep, you know, it's only until I've, you know, continue to amplify what the industry is, that I get young people who are like, yeah, I'm, I want to stay in PR, I want to get black people, I should say. I yeah. want to get into PR, I want to do, because it's, it's interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. But before then, like, you know, most of our parents, my, from my side of the parents, engineering, the usual yeah, thing, the usual. safe. Yeah, and safe. it's known. It's safe and it's known. I don't think PR is known enough. People still don't right. ask us what, what it is we do. PR and communications. Okay, what is it that you do? When really it's a, it surrounds people. People don't realise how much it surrounds how us. How much it surrounds us. Absolutely agree. Absolutely. Really interesting. So now I'm going to talk to you about allyship. So what are your thoughts on allyship and what does it mean for you? You know, what's a, a good example of allyship? So I think it's really interesting this question because mm-hmm. I get different responses and like you mentioned earlier, you know, you've got those who call themselves allies, but they're not necessarily doing what they need to do. So what does it mean for you? I think, and uh, you know, I'm, 
allyship is one of those things I've always kind of struggled with because I feel like if you are, you, you shouldn't need you shouldn't need a label to just do the thing that's right, right? So I feel like a good ally knows when to take a step back. Sometimes allies take up too much space. And so okay. sometimes because they're saying they're advocating on behalf of a group or they're saying, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm anti-racist or whatever it is, suddenly they become this voice and take up a lot of space. And it's like, hang on a minute, you're supposed to actually give up space to the people who are marginalised or um, minoritised in this space. So I feel like allies should really know their time and their space and their, like, their place, I should say. I feel like a good ally is open to conversation, open to correction, because allies don't always get it right. Um, but an ally, you know, you know, from positive, in, 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 a, in saying something in a positive vein for allies, I feel like a really good ally, you know, will will put you in those spaces where you might not, you might have been overlooked. So okay. I feel like those, you know, good a good good ally is someone who's like, okay, look, I'm gonna take a step back and let you be at the forefront of this. Yeah. Um, and there are some good ones. There's some really good ones, I guess. And there's some not so good ones, but I don't know. The word ally always makes me like, mm, do, do, why don't you need a label? Just do it. Do the, do, do, do the good do thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I get that as well. But then at the same time, it's like, you can say that with racism. We need a label for it because people are still doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? So I get it. I get it. I completely get it. But I think that's interesting what you said about that as well. And I spoke to somebody else who mentioned uh, that they feel like a good ally is about what they say about you when you're not in the room. And yeah. I thought that's a good thing as well. Absolutely. What they're saying yeah. behind your back or when other people are talking about you, what are they saying to help, exactly. you know, exactly. move things forward. And it's an interesting point also about what you said about the voices and the share of voice of the allies and, you know, not taking over the room. Exactly. And being an ally, exactly. which means you're supporting, not necessarily being the one leading. So, exactly. yeah, no, I appreciate that. Absolutely spot on with that. So getting more into you, I wanted to get into, so what kind of motivates you and what inspires you to keep going? Um, So what motivates me to keep going? Oh, wow. Um, I can't even say money, can I? Can I say money? No, no, (laughs) you can. Everybody's got bills to pay. It is. It is. It's part of me. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) No, you know what? Actually, amplify, you know, using um, the skills I have, the gifts I have, to amplify some really good stories like nothing fills me with, with, with more joy than seeing not just not if we move away from the media relations um, side even just you know when you're working on a on a on, on any kind of uh, piece of content or you know comms content so whether it's an announcement uh, a, a, a release a statement I should say mm. or we're working on something where a client just needs to be guided through something in their yeah. statement and you just see the change, the transformation. Yeah. Really, really, that motivates me to keep going. And also, media. Tra- I really enjoy media training. That can be um, so fun. <laughs> I, I find it. Yeah, I really enjoy media training. I feel. I think that's that's an area that I I I, I really enjoy. And seeing the change, and seeing someone I've media trained utilize it, and yeah. just be like that. That's beautiful. Like really, yeah, and, and I don't even care because we're we're really invisible. Um, puppet mask exactly exactly <laughs> in the background <laughs> yeah nobody ever knows that we're behind the scenes but exactly. that actually fills me with quite you know great pride I should you know oh that's good oh that's good so you get a lot of your work motivates you yeah I, I, I like seeing and I like seeing transformation I like seeing from the beginning to the end the difference and change that's yeah what, yeah I like that yeah I get that and that's why I kind of like working with startups as well I like the fact that you kind of take them from no name to you know, yeah, being known and then like seeing yeah. them flourish and stuff. So Love I think it. that's kind of nice as well. So Love brilliant, it. brilliant. 
So, and what do you find most challenging, would you say, so far on your journey? Oh, wow. So, do you know what? Sometimes I think it's, it is going back to the motivation, so saying motivated, but also just belief that make, I think I'm there, like I believe in myself, yeah. but I think sometimes those shadows of doubt, questioning, where you right? yeah. um, am I doing enough, um, comes up sometimes, you know? So that can be a challenge in and of itself, but also making sure that I'm market, I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm staying market relevant. So when I say staying market relevant, I don't like stagnation, yeah. I'm always looking for ways to adapt, you know, making sure the website, you know, my website, social media, um, whilst I might not always be out like networking all the time, making sure that I know how to attract the right kinds of clients. Yeah. And that can be quite challenging, you know, yes, making sure I'm constantly looking for ways to adapt my business. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's really, really good answers as well. And interesting. Now, we know you're not an, uh, an employee as such. Because um, one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, like, what do you want from your employer? Because, you know, you've got all these employers that are trying to increase diversity within their teams. So you have mm-hmm. someone on outside looking in, you know, what would your thoughts be about what employers should be doing uh, maybe to attract more diverse audiences? Yeah, I, I think um, so. It's interesting. We don't want it to just be optics. I think it really comes yeah. down to tone. I yeah. think it comes down to how the messaging. Yeah. I think it comes down to actually pay, undertaking active listening. Because you can always tell when an organization, an employee, an employer is actively listening to their employees. It's the same way if they're actually listening to their consumers and their customers, right? Mm. You have to really actively listen and pay attention and provide really genuinely safe spaces. And there's lots of ways you can do that. You can bring individuals like yourself in, you obviously pay you, you have the host. Um, conversations there doesn't have to be training it could be conversations yeah. it can be something different beyond training as well I feel like sometimes a training you can't necessarily train human beings to change their mindsets as such you can you can you can you can teach them to change their habits mm. but it, it can be challenging right but if yeah. you have enough conversations yeah. enough safe spaces enough spaces where people can be as much of themselves as they can be without fear or risk of kind of, then it helps. And when I say as much as themselves, obviously not to cause pain or to call, like we want conversations that are now enable growth. So yeah, that's what employers really need to be looking at how they address that tangibly, not just kind of do like things that they think look good, actually do things that will look good based on the social, active listening to their employees. Absolutely agree with you on that. Completely agree, absolutely. So leading on from that and what you mentioned about, you know, what you want from an employer, what they should be doing for the employees, essentially. What do you think makes a good working environment? And what does, you know, a real diverse, I say inclusive, equi- equitable workforce look like? Oh, well, it's two good questions. So what makes a really good working environment is letting, you know, trusting your employees, I feel like. So I'm blessed. Majority of the time I work from home unless I, unless I need to go in to do something specifically for a client. And even before the pandemic, before the lockdowns. And I, and I read a piece about the number of black women who um, didn't want to go back into the office because they didn't want to have to deal with, you know, the micro, micro, macro aggressions, the aggressions, as I call them. Yeah. Um, and I feel like employers need to start to understand that there's, an, there's a reason, you know. And obviously, there's also the other side of it. You can still get those aggressions 
via Zoom call, via emails, via telephone calls. We absolutely. But I think that going in and facing it is, is slightly different when you're feeling it from another human being. Yeah, yeah. I feel like employers have to create a space where an environment for their ethnically diverse staff or minority staff that encourages them to want to come in. So if they don't want to, and it's the same old, same old thing. If they don't want to go in to like drinks or whatever, don't make it a big deal. Like don't make it into this thing of like, okay, they have to stay for drinks to be a team fit. Like so many other things that they can you can do to make employ employees feel at home well not at home i want to <laughs> i actually don't want to be people to get too, too attached to work being home but yeah. feel, you know comfortable um and your, your next question in terms of equity was that was that the next question? yes it was yeah oh yeah so 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 leadership has to really take an active role in there i know i believe that we need more peon comms in the c-suite yes peon comms at the higher levels um, who understand, but then you have to have those ones who get it, who understand the power of ethnically diverse, not only in, you know em- employee kind of um, stakeholders, but also messaging. Like if if you are a company, an organisation, and you employ staff, you have to recognise that your employee your em- employees reflect your consumers and your customers. Ooh. So you have to really you want quality people from ethnically diverse, you know communities who can speak to your customers and consumers and who can speak to a variety of stakeholders so we need to really address that like leadership level and way of thinking I don't know if yeah. we're quite there yet definitely not there yet but yeah I agree with you I agree and I've always said that comms needs to be at the top level <clears throat> excuse me and that's something that I feel like um some industries get and a lot of them don't because they, they still try and add it on as a bolt on last minute it's like you can't bolt it on you need to have it for out. so I completely get you on that one and I feel like I had to pull on the point of equity because I feel like everybody is so um obsessed with optics and you know the diverse look of an organization but you've got to think about how are you retaining these people you know are you treating them fairly this is where equity comes in and where are they in the in the organization like you say you know leadership being very key so Absolutely agree with you on that one, for sure. Now, I want to move into a bit of your, your kind of like proudest moment. So tell us, you know, about your proudest moment. It could be oh. work, could be personal, because you're your new mum now, so I'm sure that's one of them, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I'm loved up. The baby's love is all the way up here. Up to the top. <laughs> that's so cute. Absolutely loved up. So yeah, that is one of my proudest moments. She's amazing. Um, but also, my university recognised me. Uh, it recognised me a couple of times, but they, the first time they recognised me was a, an, an alumni award, which was amazing. really, really. This was this was a, a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, and um, and it was so just just knowing that my university had been paying attention. They all acknowledged that they saw me as an alumni of the year. And it was just beautiful. And I got to speak to the graduating class. Like oh, that's lovely. So I got to speak to hundreds of graduates, um, get gowned up. Yay. Like, down in the cap again. And I was just like, wow. That's this amazing. Little from, this little girl from Hackney. And because of the work I do, because of, you know, you know, PR and comms, I've managed to have this business. I've managed to do this thing. And I'm, I'm making my university proud. That, for me, was one of my, honestly, still up there as one of my proudest moments. Oh, that is lovely. That's congratulations. That. I think that's lovely to be, you know, looked at from your university. You know, you come yeah. out and they, they, you know, they remembered you. And all those years later. All those years later. And give you an award. I think that's brilliant. So, yeah, that's a great one. 
What about your career, a career highlight? What has been a career highlight for you? Oh, that's a really good question. So I've worked on some amazing, I'm trying to think of a really, I'm trying to think of, there's, there's, there's a few, I'm trying to think of a good one. But I, I, I think a career highlight, if I can say, it's going to sound really, I actually think it's just making it, still still being here. Yeah. So I don't even want to specify a campaign because I just feel like the fact that as a, as a black woman in this country, I've still managed to still be here and do the work I'm doing and I'm still growing, still got a business, I can pay people to, to, to work with me as well. Yeah. That is, for me, that is a proud, like I can't even actually you say it. Super proud. Yeah. Honestly, I can't even to even give a credit to one particular campaign would be remiss. I feel like it's important to like look at the fact that I've survived, but not only survived, I've thrived and absolutely. Yeah, still here. Absolutely, that's brilliant. That's <laughs> nice as well. I like that. So um, I want to get asked your question about you know how the industry is evolving. So you know, what are your thoughts on how the industry will evolve over the next few years? Because there's so much happening. And there's lots of initiatives going on. You know, you've got the AI, you've got tech, you know, taking us. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like the industry plays a little bit of catch up when it came to tech, a little bit, mm. and digital. I feel like sometimes with PR, from what I've, my observations, what I noticed, like PR didn't, 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 didn't take into consideration the impact of social media quickly enough. And even just the in, in, impact of, influencers and influencer mm. marketing and what that would do and how that would change how we communicate with audiences. Um, but I feel like the, the, the industry's catching up and mm. it, it's, it's doing a good job of, of that. I mean, I mean, it's a lot of conversation. I feel like there needs to be a little bit more creativity in some spaces. I feel there's a little, little bit more joint working in some places as well, which yeah. I think would help. Um, I think the future is bright. I think if we can really attract, you know, new robust young talent or talent of not just young actually i feel like it's important to have different ages i feel like talent yes yes you know career change as well i actually feel like career changes i feel like there's a lot of amazingly talented people from ethnically diverse um backgrounds um and communities who if they wanted to do a career change would really make an impact in pr and i think PR, i think our industry could look into that yeah um, i don't know how <laughs> But I think it's important to, that's the future. That's, I feel like that's the future. Looking at career changes possibly, as well as the younger demographic career changes. Um, and then tech and digital. I feel like there's a lot of conversations to be had in terms of how we also can ensure the trust and reputation. Because we see the impact of trust and reputation all the time in our industry. But how trust and reputation can be handled using all of these things and how we can use them within our industry. Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, I think that's a good point you mentioned about the age though, because I feel like PR is definitely seen as a very young audience, and I feel like people of older ages have a lot to give and offer. So, you know, great points, great points there. And so, uh, another one I want to ask you is about, you know, key lessons. So, what would you say are some key lessons you've learned throughout your career? And what advice would you give to young people of color considering entering the industry? Mm, key lessons, I think I, I, I could. I... I kind of wish I'd use my voice sooner. When I say my voice, like just um, being more bold. It comes with confidence and time. Bolder, um, uh, be a bit more confident in what I have to offer sooner. Um, and I think in terms of advice, I think in terms of advice for young people, networking. So networking across, networking up, down, vert vertically, whatever it is, horizontally, whatever. <laughs> I feel like it's really important to network. But you don't have to network physically if you can't. You can network online. Follow key industry leaders like yourself. 
um, on socials. I think people underestimate this. It's some really great advice and content. Um, and I think young people um, or, or any graduate or anybody who's coming into the industry can network with some really senior people without even having met, met them. They can even be mentored by them without, so even, without even meeting them. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah. follow some of them on, on LinkedIn. You follow them for long enough if they're active. You can get some really good, you know, advice and guidance. But networking, networking always works. And I'm surprised that that's not one of the things that universities encourage more because networking is actually really powerful. And that's one of the things, as we know in our industry, um, shapes relationship. Oh, it does. Definitely does in our, in our industry, doesn't it? <laughs> it's all about relationships. So absolutely spot on there as well. So that's great. And uh, I want to just get on to the last couple of ones, which is more around mindset. Mm. I think it's so important. So I would like to ask you how you deal with the internal mindset war, you know, like self, mm. how you manage self-limiting beliefs and, you know, mm -hmm. just essentially keeping it moving forward. Honestly, it was, when I first started, it was some, you know, uh, books. I'm trying to remember the names of some of the really good books. Um, there's a really good book called The Invitation. Mm -hmm. There's some great content, some really, even books like, and it, I'm trying to think of the, even like the seven, seven um, the leadership book, the seven, I forget the name of it, seven pillars, not seven pillars of leadership, but there's one, that's everybody, seven traits of, okay. um, yeah, seven traits of a good leader. Those kind of books helped yeah. um, as a foundation. Um, and then content, you know, making sure that I'm consuming the right kind of content. Um, and I'm, I'm a believer, so God always, I send, my, send a lot of my work with God, God is my foundation. Absolutely. So God and prayer, but also that silence, having silent moments of, before I didn't even know mindfulness was a thing, having silent moments of just, I won't even call it meditation, but just silence, sitting in silence. Um, and yeah, knowing, also being aware of who I surround myself with, mm. that helps to shift my mindset. Because if I feel like people are consuming, I like taking, because we're so, we, as, as, as especially as independent consultants, as, as PR professionals, um, mm. we're always people are demanding so much yeah it feels like we're being stretched like an octopus like yeah. it's just like everybody wants and people rarely ask about ourselves so I'm always conscious of who I spend my time with and that helps to shift and shape my mindset and helps to helps to keep me grounded so knowing like yeah keep me grounded and, and balanced it can be challenging though sometimes yeah, even to this absolutely. day yeah, I agree with you, definitely. It's just about having those practices to keep yourself going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back over your journey, would you do it all over again? You know, that's a really good question. I love that question. <laughs> oh, my God. Would I do it? Because of where it's led me to this day, I believe that everything happens for a reason. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's an age old. That's my favourite. I do believe that. But it really does. So yeah. as much as there was some really, really hard and challenging times, times where money was tight, where my self-belief was on the floor, where, you know, you just realise where, where clients treat you like absolute mm -hmm. garbage, even though you've done the best, you, the best you can do for them, yeah. Yeah, even despite all that, I think looking at where I am now, I, I, I don't know if, if I had changed it, God, you know, God knows where I'd have been there now. So... I feel like it's probably for the best that I had to go through what I went through. Unfortunately, <laughs> those bad things had to happen. <laughs> yeah. But it's, look where you are now, you know. That's what they say, experiences shape us, right? And make us to, take us to where we are now. So Absolutely. sounds like you'd do it over again. Absolutely. Then. I think okay. so, yeah. So yeah, in answer to your question, I probably would do it all over again. Would. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's really good to know. change a few outfits and a few hairstyles. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all would. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. <laughs> 
And I'd also charge training some of the fees that I charge too. Oh, oh. oh my word. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. That you nailed it. You that's it. Actually, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's go back to change my answer. Change the fees. My God, is Stephanie. Some of the things I would charge, I don't even understand it. Anyway. Live and learn. Learn. Say, live and learn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Which is all fine. Yeah, exactly. As they say, we move. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, this will come up to the last couple of questions from me, right? So what's the best and the worst advice you've been given? Now, not everyone has a best or worst advice, but some have had worst advice. So I like to throw the question out there. <laughs> oh, oh God, that's a really good question. I can't remember some of the, the best advice. The best advice has just been, oh, um, well, I guess tomorrow is another day. So, you, you know, every whilst it's a bad, it could be a bad, it can can be a bad day today as long as you as long as you can wake up tomorrow with a new you know new day new dawn whatever it's another day so let's and it sounds so simplistic but it's true like what's the worst is gonna happen um and then and i guess the worst advice oh i can't think of the worst advice probably the worst advice probably something like um try try and you know try and be like the person like try and be like the people that you you don't Admire, like so it's a little bit like saying because these people have the power you've got to be more like them right. but actually no i don't want to be no. like that person does that yeah. mean so i've yeah, had advice like that way you've got to be more be more like that person i'm like no that's not me yeah. and i've had advice along that, that, that line, where line. Like, yeah change yourself change yourself to get to where you want to get to that's the worst advice yeah yeah no it's all about being your authentic self because you're you right you have yeah, your own exactly. dna i've got my own dna this exactly. is how it's supposed to be no, I get it. I completely get that one. That's an interesting one, though. Definitely interesting. And then um, do you have, this is my last one, which is do you have any rules that you've implemented along the way um, to help you along your career journey? You know, just like it could be admin things or things in mindset. It could be anything that you have, like little rules that you now stick oh, to, yeah. to help you. Yeah, so rules for me are always to stay, stay on, as much as possible to stay on top of paperwork. So whether it, and that means whether I need to whether I need to outsource to make sure it's done, but make sure everything, all my administrative stuff is dealt with. Mm-hmm. Another rule for me is um, how I present the business. So like making sure that everything is in line with the business messaging and making sure I use certain tools mm-hmm. so I can stay active um, and kind of market myself without always being there. So that's mm-hmm. one of, another rule if that makes sense. Um, also, another rule is to no cutoff time. So I have cutoff times to work. Like I don't work on a, a, I don't work on the weekends. Uh, I don't work after a certain point, no matter how big the campaign. Unless the campaign, the campaign has been paying me a really ridiculous amount of money, but also I don't think it's healthy even. Even if it is, it has to be a real emergency. Yeah. So those rules about timing, protecting my time, protecting the day, like the days of the week when I work. Especially now that I have my daughter, it's really important to balance that time and. I'm glad I had that rule before because uh, now it makes it easier. Yeah. I'm coming back into work from after you know soon I'll be I'll be off maternity leave, so I've, yeah. I've got to make sure I manage uh, soonish, not, not too soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, those are the kind of rules. Um, yeah. And also one last rule, I, I and I know it's, it's a digital rule, is not to argue with trolls on social media. I don't argue with trolls on social. That for my mental health, you know, I'll get I might get them, I might have people. That's fine, but for yeah. me. I don't argue with trolls on social media because it just and it actually works because it helps with my mental health. Yeah, it works with just like everything. And that's good though. That is a good one because there are times where 
<clears throat> where I posted things and someone's come and said something. It's usually when I post them about racism or something. And those are the ones that come at and I just think, breathe, block. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to just remove them. Otherwise, you'll just be going back and forth. I remember exactly. a saying that I heard, which is, you know, from, from across the road, you can't tell where two people are arguing, you can't tell which one's a fool. And I thought that's so true. <laughs> so there's no point. Okay. There is no <laughs> point. <laughs> so I'm like okay there's no point let's just not get involved in this just try it and refrain from getting involved so no I get that and that's really nice that's brilliant (laughs) no thank you that's a nice one to end it on thank you so much for joining me Ronke it's been so lovely speaking with you thank you really enjoyed it now can you let my listeners know where they can find you or you know if they want to come and find out some more information for you or to yes yes yeah, all the socials. It's my, it's my full name, Ron Kellowell, on, on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn um, and ariacpr.com. And we're, all, we're also on all the socials as well. Brilliant. And I have a YouTube channel too, which I'm, I'm a little bit inactive. It's been a few, few months. If you, if you search Ron Kellowell means business, you can find some of my YouTube videos there. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. And I'll be coming back to you guys soon with a, another session where I'm speaking to more people from the industry of PR and communications. So stay tuned. Thank you so much. Bye for now.